If you have your Bibles and would like to turn with me, we're going to be in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. If you notice me dancing up here a bit today, I'm, I shared with you a few weeks ago that I was dealing with some lower, lower back pain, and it's flared on good today. So I'm, I'm trying to find a position in which I'm not super uncomfortable. So if I do a lot of this, it's not because I have ants in my pants or anything like that. Or that I have to go to the bathroom real bad or anything like that. I'm just trying to find. Now, if I run out of the room, you know I had to go to the bathroom. All right. It, it, as we turn our attention, and it may cause me to be brief today, too. Maybe that'll be a good thing for y'all. Uh, as I'm just not feeling very, I'm, I'm hurting. Uh, you can probably tell from a sweat, how much I'm sweating I'm hurting. Um, if you would stand now as we give attention to the, to the word of God, as we look at John chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. This is the word of the Lord. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death, for it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Please be seated. From the very beginning of creation, we see that it was not good for man to be made alone. There's this beautiful picture in the garden where God is touting before Adam all the animals of the garden, and he's naming them. And one of the things that Adam sees again and again and again is that there is a type of animal, and there's male and female, and yet for him there is no female counterpart. Adam saw that it was not good for him to be alone, and therefore God made for Adam a companion. And companionship is something that we all crave. And it's not always simply the companionship of a spouse. We desire fellowship and relationship. Those who can be around us. I think this is one of the hardest parts that has been for many of us through coronavirus is the absence of companionship and fellowship, uh, particularly for those of us who, who are home alone. It's been hard to, to be without people. But this is because God himself has been in complete fellowship within the Godhead from all eternity. We talked about this in the last few weeks, the Trinity. And we, being made in his image, are made for fellowship. It means we're created with a desire for fellowship. And this was no less true of Jesus in the incarnation. Jesus didn't come on this earth as an isolated individual. He came and had relationships. Uh, he had his family, he had his apostles, and he had his friends. And it's in his relationships, the relationships of Jesus, that we often learn the most about him. We learn about his humanity, the way he cared for them, the way he loved them. But we also learn about his divinity. We are reminded of the ultimate reason why he came. Jesus is a friend in, which, in a way in which no one else has ever been. 
The greatest of his love is on display on the cross. It is a blessing, then, to have close friends. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born in adversity. Jesus seems to have enjoyed his friendships very much. And here in our text today, we see three of Jesus' closest friends, three siblings from Bethany, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And John 11 begins the last section of Jesus' ministry before going to the cross, before entering into Jerusalem. And during this time, he seeks to strengthen the faith of his friends and his disciples before he does go to the cross. And so we're going to see three things this morning. We're going to see the beloved of the Lord, the privilege in prayer, and the importance of patience. The beloved of the Lord, the privilege in prayer, and the importance of patience. Let's begin by looking at the beloved of the Lord. What do we know about these three siblings from Bethany, these three different personalities? Well, to, in some part, we probably have heard something. If you, if you study the Bible at all, you've heard something of each of them. This family is mentioned in all four Gospels. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are mentioned in all four of the Gospels. And first, we consider Lazarus. Interesting, interestingly enough, Lazarus is not recorded in any of the Gospels as saying anything. Now, one might argue maybe he couldn't get a word in edgewise between Mary and Martha. I don't know. I'm not saying any of that. But he doesn't say one word that is recorded for us in the Gospels. But what he does show us is the difference that any Christian can make by showing the power of Christ in our lives. And this is something he certainly did, because the story of Lazarus is very well known. If we say, if, if you talk and you know anything about the New Testament, and you say, well, what, who is Lazarus? Most often it's say, oh, well, that's the person that Jesus raised from the dead. And certainly that is right. So powerful was the witness of Lazarus that the leaders sought to kill him alongside of Jesus, as we see in John 12, verse 11. Because on account of him, that is Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. And so they sought to kill him. James Montgomery Boyce says this about Lazarus. You should be especially careful that your life demonstrates the reality of that spiritual resurrection that Jesus has performed in you so that others might turn to him and believe in him because of what they see in you. So on one hand, we have Lazarus. Second, we have Martha. Martha was fam is fam made famous by the account of Luke's gospel, where it is recorded, you have Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, and you have Martha going all over the house, bus busying herself with cleaning and preparing the meal, and Martha comes to Jesus and is complaining, right? We know that story. Martha, make my sister Mary help. This is something I'm very familiar with. Two sisters who are, are very concerned with making the other one help. I'm sure if you have siblings, you've done something similarly. I did the same with my sister. I don't want to clean the dishes. Make Laura help. That was my little sister. And this was Martha. But Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to his teaching. Martha is an example of someone who serves but is caught up in themselves. And the resurrection of her brother changes her, directing her service as a joyful gift to the Lord. Then we have Mary. Mary gave herself to Jesus. Anytime we see Mary, she is sitting at Jesus' feet, 
learning. It is the proper place of a, and posture of a disciple. In fact, John mentions it here right now. It's, it's recorded somewhere else that after this event, there's a banquet. And she's the one, when you talk about, you see uh, she's using her hair and anointing Jesus' feet. This is Mary. She gave herself in complete devotion to him. As we consider the death of Lazarus, it would be neglectful of us, I believe, if we didn't first understand why these people were so important to Jesus. And sometimes I feel like it's easy for us to neglect the, you, you, excuse me, the humanity of Jesus. These were Jesus' friends. These were his close and personal friends. He dearly loved them. Not only Lazarus, but Mary and Martha as well. Jesus is personal in his nature and his relationships. Letting Lazarus die is not something that he would have relished in, knowing that his friend was suffering. But we also see a purpose in what Jesus does. That even in suffering, he's seeking first, first the glory of God. He would use the death of his friend to bring glory to God and many to Christ. Many to faith. But in light of the suffering of Lazarus as he's ill, we also see that we have a privilege as the beloved of Jesus, and that's to come before him in prayer. And you might say, well, how do we see prayer here? Well, in verse 3, it says, The sisters went to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And I believe this is a prayer. It's not that they were simply stating a statement to Jesus. Lazarus is ill. No, they wanted Jesus to do something about it because they believed something about Jesus' power. People often wrongly conclude that an illness or another affliction indicates separation from God's affection. This was the same question that the Pharisees asked of the, uh, of the blind man. Well, who, who sinned to make this man blind, his parents or, the, uh, or the, the man himself? And they were in error, as Jesus told them. Charles Spurgeon says this, The love of Jesus does not separate us from the common necessities and infirmities of the human life. Men of God are still men. The covenant of grace is not a character of exemption from consumption, rheumatism, or asthma. In essence, saying, just because you come to faith in Christ doesn't mean you'll never get sick. You certainly will get sick. But when we are sick, we have the privilege of prayer. And so they came to Jesus. They made their need known to him. I think it's, it's good to take a step back here for a second. How often have I ever heard, or maybe you've heard people say, or maybe you've said yourself, you know, I just don't know how to pray. Prayer is hard. What do I even say? Look at the prayer of these two sisters. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Sometimes our prayers can be as simple as, Lord, 
I'm sick. Lord, I'm hurting this morning. Now, the answer to that prayer may be, well, you're going to continue to hurt through this thing, sermon this morning and get through it. Now, I would love if all of a sudden the pain just went away. That would be amazing. But look, we can ask God. John Calvin says we are not forbidden a longer form of prayer, but the chief thing is to cast our cares and whatever troubles us into the bosom of God that he may supply the remedy. This is how those women act towards Christ. They explain their trouble to him immediately and look for relief from him. And this is the great comfort that any believer should and can and should seek in time of anxiety. As Psalm, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He is a help for us in trouble. And no doubt they were doing everything they could do for their brother. I'm sure they had a physician there, and we should, during times that we're ill, we should seek a physician. God has provided for us earthly means to remedy many of our pains and illness. And we should take every good use of them. But as J.C. Riles reminds us, in all our doing, we must never forget that the best and ablest and wisest helper in heaven at God's right hand, like afflicted Job, our first action must be to fall on our knees and worship. Like Hezekiah, we must spread our matters before the Lord. Like the holy sister at Bethany, we must send up our prayer to Christ. Let us never forget in the hurry and excitement of our feelings that none can help us like him and that he is merciful, loving, and gracious. I think the second thing we see here, though, is the basis on which they come to Jesus in prayer. Notice how, how they pray here again. Lord, he, he whom you love is ill. Why do they come to him? Because this is someone, Jesus loves and this is a principle that holds true even today god did not send his son because the world loved him matthew henry says it this way our love to him is not worth speaking of but it his to us can never be spoken of enough we can pray to jesus because he loves us and knowing this should provide great encouragement in our prayers. Our prayers are not offered in our own strength or in our own name, but in the name of Jesus, on the basis of his perfect life. I think another thing we learned here, though, is just the manner of which they prayed. They simply made their need known. Need known they made their need known to Jesus. Excuse me. They left the manner of what, how the outcome of that up to Jesus. Jesus, Lazarus is ill. Sometimes I do think we come in prayer with the exact outcome that we expect God to provide for us. God, my loved one is ill and I want you to heal them and make them better so they can be with me longer. But sometimes we just need to come and say, God, they are ill. Your will be done. They knew enough about Jesus that they not, did not weary him with advice or complaints. They simply placed the matter into his loving hand and left it to him. 
knowing that he is working all things out to our good. The reality is that all of us are going to suffer through different things in our lives. If we are using our relationship with Jesus as a means to a painless existence filled with riches, we're in grave error. It's not how it works. Jesus is not our ticket to a painless, money-filled life. Even one of Jesus' closest friends endured sickness and death. Jesus himself endured the pains and agonies of the cross. But no matter what we're going through, we always have the avenue of prayer. We can come to Jesus to lay our concerns at his feet. We may say that we don't know how to pray, but all you have to do is, is come and t talk to him. You don't have to be long. You don't have to be elegant. You, you may have been sitting here this morning and go, wow, Daniel's pastoral prayer was very short this morning. And you know what? It was. Because I, I couldn't think straight and I was hurting. But that's okay. The, the length of my prayer does not indicate my holiness or God's ability to hear me. He knows. We need to learn to pray without expectation of the outcome, but trusting that God will care for all our needs. And this leads to our third and final point, the importance of patience. Jesus' response to this message is one of the best examples of God's approach to answering our prayers. There's almost a dichotomy here in our text, right? First off, we, we see Jesus saying, well, this illness does not lead to death. And you go, whoa, Daniel, that's not true. If, if Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead, guess what he first has to do? Die. So Jesus has to be wrong there, right? No, he's not. Second, we, we look here and it says in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, so he heard that Lazarus was ill. He stayed two days longer. And you go, well, that doesn't make sense. If you loved him, you should have dropped everything you were doing and went to him. But the problem here is that we're viewing these two statements through our lens and not God's lens, aren't we? We have to know that our perspective on our trials is not God's perspective on our trials. That whatever affliction Lazarus might have to endure, Jesus knows it will lead to eternal life. That there is a resurrection awaiting every believer. Paul says it this, in, this way in 1 Corinthians 15. So, is, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. We might be subject now to pain and hurt and sickness and death or injustice, but in the end, the believer will be justified by God. Jesus' response also shows his plan for delivering us from trouble. trouble. Jesus loved Lazarus, so he waited. This is not something we often like to hear, but sometimes our suffering is something that we are called to endure, that we might be more sanctified, that God might be more glorified. 
The Lord works in our lives according to his timetables and purposes, not our own. A good, good example of this in the Old Testament is that of Joseph. Joseph, who was thrown in a pit by his brothers out of jealousy, who was sold into slavery, who was lied upon by Potiphar's wife, who, after all this time, raises to second in command of Egypt. And then in Genesis 50, 20 says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Why does Jesus delay for those he loves? Because Lazarus was going to be a witness to God's divine glory, and this required, required that he first die in order that he might be raised again. God wanted to use Lazarus. He wanted to transform Martha. He wanted to continue to teach Mary, and so he allowed Lazarus to die. Jesus knows that there are more important things than simply being delivered from sickness, having a good job, or being helped out of trials. Our faith is more important than all else, and it was purchased at a most costly price. It is the chief end of man to glorify God. Would it have been good for Jesus to come to, to Bethany and heal Lazarus? Certainly. Would it have been good for Jesus simply to say, Mary, Martha, go home. Lazarus is better already. Certainly. But Jesus didn't settle for good. He settled for the best. Many in response to this miracle believed. John eleven forty five. 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, had, who had come with Mary, had seen what he did and believed in him. Are you willing for God to use your life for his glory and the salvation of others, no matter what it means he brings to your life? God will glorify himself in our lives, for his glory is the chief end as well as ours. Or his chief end as well as should be our goal as well. Although I think it's oftentimes hard for us to set aside our own will. Jesus himself experienced this in a way that none of us ever will because Jesus was maliciously accused, unjustly convicted, and cruelly put to death. Yet God in the death of Jesus had a purpose, and that was the empty tomb. He saw the tomb beyond the grave, or beyond the cross. God had a plan that was higher than merely keeping Jesus from harm. A plan to save sinners such as you and I through the blood of Christ. And even Jesus on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But even so, he remained in the will of God. To be a Christian means to die to sin, to worldly pleasures, and to our own agendas. Ultimately, ultimately it means the death of our bodies, but it also means eternal life in him. There are times in our lives where it's hard for us knowing God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want him to. When our loved ones are sick and they don't get better, when we want a better job but it never comes, when we pray for the salvation of our loved ones but they continue in unbelief. But even in these times, there are several things that we need to be reminded of. 
A lack of an answer does not mean we are not loved. We have to be reminded that our plans are not God's plans. With hope, we can know that he is working everything out to his glory. And we can know that no matter what the circumstance, he continues to love us. Here's the reality. In Lazarus' illness, Jesus loved him. In Lazarus' death, Jesus loved him. In, in, and in Lazarus' resurrection, Jesus loved him. In our prayers, are we willing to say with Jesus, not our will, but thy will be done? We need to be patient. Not that we would get whatever we want. Not that we would impose our will upon his will. But that he would be glorified no matter what the situation. That others would see the glory of God in us. In, in our joy, in our pain, in our suffering, in our good times. That many more would give glory to God. Jesus had beloved friends who care, he cared for deeply. And he cares for us the same way today. That he has brought us into communion and fellowship with him. He has provided us the ability to come before him in prayer. And we can bring our cares, our worries before him. Knowing that he hears and cares for us. Even if he doesn't always give us the answer we want. But we must wait with patience upon the Lord, knowing that he is in control, that he is always good. I look up and I see I have burned through that, and that's okay. Because God is good even in this, isn't he? We must come and learn to rely and to rest and trust on him. Because what, what the Bible says of Lazarus is true of you. Jesus loves you. It is a very basic statement, but he loves you. And you might look at your life right now and you might say, I don't feel Jesus' love. But he does. He loves you. And sometimes his love means allowing you to continue in hurt, in illness, whatever it may be. But know that God loves you and he wants and desires good for you, even if that good is bringing you into his glory. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, oh, Lord, we ask and pray that you would shine your mercy and your grace down upon us and that we would know the goodness of your love. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. If you would.